Welcome to the Friendship Missionary Baptist Church podcast of Vallejo, California. I'm so glad that you are tuned in to Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, where we know we are the place to be. Our pastor is Justin Lester, and we're so grateful that you've tuned in to hear the word of God today. The word you're going to hear today is going to enliven you, to stretch you, to be all that God's called you to be. We believe that God has called us as Christ-led liberators to love Jesus, to heal people, to serve Vallejo, and to build community. You are in tune for a life-changing word from God today. If you want to learn more about FNBC, go to BEFNBC.org. You can give there. You can grab more information about the church and see what it means and the plan of salvation to be a part of FNBC. Now, with all that out of the way, let's just jump into the word of God and see what God has to say to us today. about y'all. Y'all can act super saved if you want to. But y'all remember a man named Maury Povich? Y'all remember him? All right. Y'all act like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what are you talking about? So what was always so funny to me about Maury Povich, right, is he was like, first, if you read the the story, the history of Maury Povich, the the story, I I saw like a documentary about it. He started off as like a general like talk show host, like Ricky Lakes. Like, y'all remember Ricky Lakes too, right? All that, right? So he started with a basic talk show host. And then what made him popular was that you are not the father or you are the father. Oh, my God, what? I can't believe it. You are the daddy. And it was like 18 baby dads. And like, who is, like, oh my God, like, there's 30 days that this could happen. Eight, like, it was just a whole bunch of stuff in this, right? And so I was, I was, don't judge me, but I was on YouTube the other day and I went down the rabbit hole of uh, Jerry Springer and Maury Povich. And y'all can act like y'all have never done that before, but I went down the rabbit hole and I don't know what happened, but I was literally just like, like, I've seen these episodes and they're all grainy and I'm laughing because I'm like, is he going to be the father? Like, oh my God. And then they run around. They find, there's all of a sudden, there's always a perfectly prepped room with tissues for someone to run to when someone is or is not the father. And for some reason, it was the same reaction every time. It was like, you are the father. Oh, my God. And they run to the back room. You are not the father. Oh, my God. And they run. To, I mean, it was just, cra- it's just crazy. And so I was watching this, and I, I began to laugh because all it was was they took a lie detector test, and the truth came out. And the truth made them run to the back room and cry about it. The truth gave the same reaction. And for some reason, why is it that the truth does that? Like the truth made them react and elicit some sort of emotion. It just drove them crazy no matter what it was. You are the father, the truth. Crazy response. You are not the father, the truth. Crazy response. The truth just just does it. And it made me think about how do we respond when God looks at us and tells us the truth? Now, when you hear me say truth, I don't want you to think about it in, in terms of, like, Ebonics, black folk truth. Because, you know, we got, we got truth. And we got to tell them, like, can I just be honest? We ain't being honest. We're being mean. Like, you know that's true, right? Like, can I just be honest? You ugly. Your mama ain't nothing. Your daddy ain't nothing. You're never going to beat. I mean, we just, we, 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 we ain't honest. Can I be real? No, you being mean. Can I be real? No, you being rude, right? Like, I'm talking black folks' truth. Like, really, the truth, the honest-to-God truth. How do you respond when God sits down and says the lie detector test determines one simple truth? And so if I was Maury Povich today, and this is what David says, this is what God's truth is over all of us. You are God's favorite. Now, if I got up here and told you a million dollars, your life is going crazy, we running back around the church. But David says, here is the foundation that sets everything. You are God's favorite. 
David's having a conversation with us in Psalm 17. And if we're going to set the foundation for a year of new life, last week I'm ready to own my ambition. This week I am ready to be honest. That's the story in Psalm 17. Grab your Bible, stand with me in honor of the word of God. Psalm 17, beginning at verse number one. What are you going to do with that truth this morning? Psalm 17, hear the word of the Lord. David writes this to us. Hear me, Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It doesn't rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you'll find that I plan no evil. My mouth is not transgressed. Though people tried to bribe me, I've kept myself from the ways of the violent. Through your lips have, through what your lips have commanded, my steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, and you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who say by your right hand and take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. I want you to underline that text. I want you to highlight that text. I want that to be your prayer this week. God, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. Why? From the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. I want you to see this. I'm going to get into this. I want you to see here, it is not you who needs to fight. David says here in the prayer he has here, God, keep me as the apple of your eye and the shadow of your wings. And here's what that does. It keeps me from the wicked who are out to destroy me. You have people who want to destroy what God has built in your life. But when you are God's apple of God's eye, because you're God's favorite, and you're in the shadow of his wings, it keeps you from the wicked who are trying. The weapon is formed. I wish I had a witness here. But it will not prosper. From the mortal enemies. This is not spiritual enemies David talks about. From the fleshly individuals who surround you. But when you're the apple of his eye and the shadow of his wing. So here's what, here's what happens in verse 10. They close up their calloused hearts. Their mouths speak with arrogance. They track me down. They surround me. Their eyes are alert to me. They throw me to the ground. They're like lying hungry for prey, a fierce lion crouching in cover. Pause. I want you to write the name maybe in your journal or whatever. Who's the person in your life that those words describe? Right? I want, I want you to see this text for yourself today. Who's that person in your life? Calloused hearts, arrogant mouths, track you down, surround you. They're always commenting on your statuses, always around you, always want to go to lunch with you, always trying to figure out what's going on, crouching in cover. Right? I want you to see what, how our faithful responses are. Look at verse 13. So God, I'm not going to do it. Verse 13, you rise up, Lord. You confront them. Bring them down with your sword, not my sword. Do you see this? With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from the people, from those whose world is, whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it. May there be leftovers for their little ones. Do you see this? But as for me, I will be vindicated. I will see your face. When I'm awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. I want to talk this morning, just for a couple minutes, I'm ready to be honest. Lord, do your work, and we'll stand and ready to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, this is a notebook sermon, and I want you to apply this to your own life today in terms of our honesty. Because we are God's favorite, here's the honesty of this prayer. David is writing this psalm in this quest to be honest in his own life. And he writes this twofold. Number one, he's writing a prayer from David to God about threatening enemies who are against his livelihood. The first movement of this is a prayer from David to God about threatening enemies who are against his livelihood. 
And also, what Psalm 17 does for us, it's a template for the righteous about what it means to be honest with God when you have enemies on your case. It's a template. This is almost like the Lord's Prayer. So, we, sorry, the model prayer. So we talk about the Lord's Prayer versus the model prayer. We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer in the, this, this weekend, this Wednesday in Bible study, and, and the Lord teach us how to pray. But there's a difference between the Lord's Prayer and the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, Father, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That's the Lord's Prayer. The model prayer is what we see when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. It's a model. This text here is a template. So I'm not telling you to go and start praying this this week, but this is a template. So when I talk about praying the scriptures, this is what I mean praying the scriptures. If you have an enemy, a mortal enemy that is on your tail, on your attack, it seems that they're attacking your faith. This is a template to use to pray the scriptures. That's where the strength comes in because now I am not accessing my authority, my language. I'm literally now taking God's authority and God's language and praying the scriptures as a template for something against my life. And here's what the questions that kind of ask for us today. Number one, this text asks us, how honest are we? How honest are we with ourselves? How honest are we with others? And how honest are we with God? This psalm is qualified as a lament psalm. A lament psalm is a psalm in distress that asks God for help. And here's the structure of the psalm. It's going to come up on the screen. Here's the structure of the psalm this morning. So first of all, verses one and two is the initial plea for vindication. So he's praying unto God, he's pleading unto God, but God will vindicate him. Number two, he declares his faithfulness. This is where I want us to get to a place where you're compassionate enough with yourself that you are able to declare that God, this is where I've been faithful to your word. David begins, continues the text and says, I'm, he declares his faithfulness unto God. Then he begins his second plea, God, now because I want to be vindicated from these people who are trying to attack me, I'm declaring my faithfulness to you. Then my second plea then is for protection. God, will you protect me from what these individuals are doing, right? Then verses 10 through 12, he's defining the lack of character in his enemies. I began to name this for us when I pause there for a second, but David literally defines the lack of character in his, for, of his enemies. He's literally saying, God, based upon what I know about them, because there's a level of intimacy ladled in this text, David defines the lack of characters his enemies have. Now, here's the thing I want to really get with this text. This is not a text to be used to go against those you just go to church with and don't like something they said or did to you. This text is really against enemies who are threatening your very essence and your livelihood. And too often, I think we have made enemy too small, realizing that literally the language here are lions that are crouching in the desert for prey to try and destroy your life. This is not some sort of public opinion court. This is literally individuals who want to do everything they possibly can to ensure that you don't breathe tomorrow. So don't mistake your enemies, right? So he says the enemies, their whole character, their whole livelihood is based upon destroying my life. He says they have no character, right? That's what he's saying here. So then thirdly, then he says, God, so since you know this truth, verse 13 and 14, the third plea he has is, Lord, overthrow the wicked. Like, God, you know their focus is fully on destroying me. So if, God, they literally are worshiping me. Overthrow them because that's what you promised you do. See, what, here's what prayer does. Prayer is reminding God of his promises. You said there'll be no other God before you. They have literally made me a God. I don't want to be their God because you'll destroy me. So, God, you overthrow them before you want to take me out as an idol. And then lastly, he says, be, and I know this is going to happen because of a guarantee, because my consistency and my righteousness 
unto God, right? That's the whole text. And here's what God is showing us in this text, what David shows us. The guarantee that the writer is giving us here is that if God hears this prayer, God's going to make everything well. And this whole prayer hinges on one verse. The verse I actually underline, the verse I actually to highlight. Guard me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your ways. This prayer is the prayer of a virtuous person who has held fast to the steps of God. They've had trouble in their lives, but they are certain that God does not lie. That if God said that God delivers, that we trust that God delivers. They stay steadfast in their worship because they know that God is not a man, that God will lie. So the body of God in this text, if you notice the human effects of God in this text, throughout this text we see the right eye of God, the hand of God. We see the voice of God. That's what's more important. I want you to see this in this text. David beckons the body of God to be his refuge. Now, this is important because I'm going to get to the, the cherubim and the seraphim in a second. But this is important because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, remember the text says that God was walking in the Garden of Eden. This is what the writer is hearkening back to, the body of God. The, that's why throughout the book of Psalms, whether it's Moses, whether it's David, whether it's Solomon, whether it's the sons of Korah, whomever it is in the book of Psalms, they constantly reference the right eye of God. If you notice the right eye is the just part of God. The left part of God is the human part of God, the, the softer side of God. So you don't see a lot of that in the book of Psalms, but you see that a lot in the New Testament. If you look up the left side of God, you see that a lot when it comes to Jesus, that softer side, that present side of God. But in the Old Testament, it's the right eye, the right hand, the right the right fist of God, the right thumb of God. There's even a verse that references the pinky of God. Like, there's power in God's pinky. I mean, y'all, it's, just, it's amazing in the book of Psalms. And so here's what the writer is telling us. First of all, he asks God's eye to look at the psalmist's heart. Because what he's saying here is, I can't ask you to condemn somebody else if you don't first make sure my heart is pure. I'm going to back up and press play right there. I can't ask you to condemn another person, God, if I haven't asked you to first look at my heart. David is writing this text and showing us that God's eye is invited to look at the psalmist's heart. It gets to Psalm 139. I won't read it, but Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. And then once you know me fully, lead me in the path of righteousness. That God's eyes are asked to look at his heart. Then secondly, he asks that God's lips are invited to request testimony from others regarding the paths of the psalmist's feet. He literally says, God, I want you to look at my heart, but then also, God, I want you to use your mouth and talk to other people and ask them if I really am the person that I say that I am. If God were to ask your spouse about your consistency in terms of what you show publicly and who you are privately, what would the testimony of your spouse's honesty be about your private walk? If God's lips were to request testimony from your children about the pathways of your feet in your private life, what would the testimony of your children be to honestly unto God? If God's lips were to ask your coworkers about the consistency of your faith in your places of work, what would your coworkers say about the consistency of your faith? David says, listen, God, I want your eyes to look at my heart, and I want your lips to talk to people close to me because you're going to find consistency all across the board. And then God, when you find that, then he says, I want the shadow of your wings to be my hiding place. 
So here's his main prayer. If I'm going to be honest, then he says, God, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. So what does that mean? Well, the apple of your eye, I'm almost finished. The apple of your eye is first seen in Deuteronomy chapter 32. The, the Hebrew heroes saw that, the, 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 sorry, the Hebrew writes it like this. God, keep me as the daughter or the son of your eye. This is literally translation is God, keep me as a child in your eyes. There's a reason later why Jesus came back later. I hope, hope this is all making sense. Later came back in the, in the New Testament. He says, I want the kingdom to look like this. Bring the children to me because there's something about the children being in the eyes of God. And here's what this is doing to be the center of God's attention. He literally says, God, keep me as a child in the center of your attention. It's not just God locating you, but it's you being located with God. That God always know where I am so I don't deviate from where you are. That's where we get to the proverb. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will. God, God I always want to make sure I am never outside of your will. I'm always able to be located by God, that God, if I ever deviate from you, you know where to find me and you want me in your presence. God, keep me always with you saying I have your attention. That's what a righteous heart does. He says, God, I don't ever want to get so full of myself. I don't ever want to get so successful in the world that I don't know where you are. And not just that, but he says, then it keeps my stature in God's presence. That when, if you ever were to look at something, so the, the apple of your eye is not like, every time I read this text for years until studying it, I always thought about the Disney movies where someone held an apple in a mirror. It's like, keep me as the apple of your eye. This shiny apple, literally what the text is saying is the center parts of our eyes. The iris on our eyes, literally, I want God to have such an intimacy with me that I am always found in the center of God's attention. Don't miss this. And what that does, it also not only is God's attention, but it's also our stature and our size. That when we acknowledge that we are not God, it keeps us small in God's presence, realizing I can't handle anything because God is handling everything. That I am always small in the eyesight of God. And the only reason that I'm large in the world is because I'm small in his presence. And all I want is God to constantly be looking at me. And that when God looks at me, he is pleased with what he sees. That when God looks at me, he sees himself reflected back at me. And he trusts me with wherever he puts me. So God, I want to be small in your eyes. Because you know you can trust me to always make you big in the world. That's the apple of God's eyes. Can God trust you to exalt him constantly? Are you reflecting the goodness of God back to God's eyes? That when God's eye is on you, does he see that you trust, that you are precious, you are valuable, you are visible, you are goodness embodied, that you are God reflecting back to him because you were made in his image. David says, God, if I'm going to be vindicated from my enemies, I want to be the apple of your eye. Not just that, but then he says, God, hide me in the shadow of your wings. I could spend a whole year on the shadow of God's wings. Listen to this. In both Deuteronomy and later in Matthews, this refers to a hen. 
Because that's speaking to this nurturing of an egg to produce something more. That's a whole sermon series. Deuteronomy Matthew refers to a hen, but David is speaking of God's larger wings. This, 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 this is literally an imagination of God's love, this intimate fellowship with God under God's wings, where God's people always find rest and intimate fellowship with God. And here's what David is showing us. God gives protection to those he loves from both outward conflict and inward conflict. Here his wings are protecting us, hear me, from anything that can destroy your life or your possessions. Because the enemy here, church, notice this, is not always external, but it's also internal. And if we don't allow God to protect our inward conflict, it'll manifest itself in us getting comfortable with external conflict. That a lot of our external issues are us finding it because of clouded vision, because we don't have clear clarity on our inward conflict with God. I don't like me. I have to find people around me who don't like me, who give me the language to hate the person I am, that disagree with who God says about me. So now I have enemies around me who agree with the enemy that I see in myself. If you don't believe me, get your Bibles. I want you to see this. You're not making it up. Go to Ezekiel 25. I want you to see this because if you don't correct inward conflict, if you don't correct inward enemies, it will ruin you. Go to Ezekiel 25. I really want us to see this, and I'm I'm finished. I'm just teaching this morning. Go to Ezekiel 25. I want you to see the issue. If we don't correct inward conflict, it will lead to terrible, terrible external conflict. Ezekiel 25, beginning at verse number 1. Look at the word of the Lord to Ezekiel. It says this, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against the Ammonites, prophesy against them. Hear this prophecy. This is one thing. Let me pause here. Every word from God, like I'm watching a lot of these churches, and and I've even cautious myself. A lot of these churches who are doing like these seven days of prayer, everybody's prophesying. Listen, there are some prophecies that will confront sin. Every prophecy is not going to be brand new this, lavish this, lavish that. Some prophecies are you bunch of sinners need to get yourself corrected because if you sin and you are not connected to Jesus, hell is an option. Period, point blank. I mean, I know that sounds real conservative, but if we are not connected to Jesus, hell is an option. If I'm connected to Jesus, heaven is my only option. I rejoice because I know Jesus and heaven is my option and heaven is my goal. But every prophecy is not a good thing. Every prophecy is not a comfortable prophecy. There are some prophecies, y'all, that when we hear it ought to confront us and cause us to repentance. That's Ezekiel 25. Look at the text. Verse number three, say to them, hear the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Because you said and you rejoiced over my sanctuary when it was desecrated and over the land of Israel, when it was laid waste and over the people of Judah, when they went to exile, here's the prophetic word of God. I'm going to give you over to the people of the east as a possession. They will set up their camps and pitch tents around you. They will eat your fruit. They will drink your milk. I will turn Rabbah into a pasture for camels and Ammon to a resting place for sheep. Then you will know that I am God. Do you see this? Every prophecy from God ain't going to be God's going to give you a brand new house. Some prophecies from God are because you are unfaithful to me, I'm going to turn you over to your enemies. Look at verse number six. For this is what the word of the Lord says. Because you clapped your hands and stomped your feet, rejoicing in the malice of your heart against Israel, I'm going to stretch my hand out against you. And give you plunder to the nations. I'm going to wipe you out from the nations and exterminate you from the countries. God says this, I will destroy you 
and then you'll know that I'm God. Look at verse number six. So here's what I want to get to this internal conflict. This is what the Lord says. Here's the inward stuff. Because you clapped your hands, verse six, you stomped your feet and rejoiced with the malice in your heart against Israel. This is not external conflict. They made a conscious decision in their emotions to go against the temple of God. They clapped their hands. They stomped their feet. They used the joy of the Lord to rejoice over the destruction of God's people. This is the enemy in the soul. This is what a calloused heart does. Because you clapped your hands over the downfall of God's people. God says, I will smite yours. This is what happens, church, if we don't heal internal conflict. It will manifest itself in external. What issues are you facing in the world today because you are not taking everything to God in prayer privately? Where are you stomping and like when Whose life are you waiting to fail and fall apart so you can stump with joy? Whose existence, what church even, friendship? Let's be, let's be real here. What church are you waiting to fall apart so you can stomp with joy? Because they talked about friendship a couple years ago. Oh, talk back to me. What individuals in your life are you waiting for their whole marriage to fall apart? Because you know all their dirt and you can't wait to stomp on their grave. God says, you do that? Let me show you. That's internal conflict that you have an issue with. It's going to manifest itself. So here's what the shadow of God's wings do. The shadow of God's wings gives you intimacy with God that protects you from external conflict and also heals your internal conflict. Because now anything that has caused distance between me and the Father, the shadow of God's wings will protect me. Because God's presence protects you from others and it protects you from yourself. Maybe your prayer this year is, God, protect me from me. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Then maybe your prayer is, God, I recognize I got it, but God, protect me from my biases. Protect me from my assumptions. Protect me from my negative thinking. Protect me from my language. Protect me from my mindsets. Protect me from the things that I think about your people. God, protect me from myself. And I'm so glad that God loves me so much that he'll protect me from me. Whose life are you waiting to fall down for you to pick yours back up again? Intimacy with God protects you from yourself. And the language here, church, is the language called upon for the cherubim. Now, I'm going to show you a picture in a second, but I want you to see this. The cherubim were the angels who were selected to protect the temple. And uh, this is the same angel that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, these are the angels that ushered them out of the garden to protect them from God's wrath. Ah, so, so God says, when you're honest with me, I will make you the apple of my eye and I'll protect you under the shadow of my wings. And so I'm going to have the media team put a picture up. I want you to see the beauty of God's protection. This is what the cherubim actually look like. And I'm going to read the scripture that define what the cherubim look like in Revelation chapter 4. The cherubim protect us. The cherubim cause intimacy with 
us. And as it come up on the is it coming up, um, as it come up on the screen, hear the word of the Lord in Revelation chapter four. It says this: Before the throne was like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes on the front and the back. The first living creature was a lion. The second living creature was a calf. The third living creature was a man. The fourth living creature was an eagle. And they had six wings, full of eyes, around and within. They do not rest day or night. They call holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor to God on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him on the throne in worship. Holy, holy, holy is the one who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne. They say, Lord, you're worthy to receive glory and power. Here's what the angels do, that when you trust God, the cherubim ensure that you are protected. So your responsibility is to just cry, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who what? Because I am the apple of God's eye, and God sees everything around me. I'm protected by the bull side of God. I'm protected from the lion side of God. I'm protected by the human side of God because God's eye is on me, and I am in the shadow of his wings. And I know that might be an uncomfortable picture to see, but when we get to heaven, that's what's going to protect all the throne, and that is what's protecting you on your job. That angel is making sure that the job that should have fired you because you cried, holy, 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 you have intimacy with him because you cried, Lord God Almighty, you have intimacy with him that God's angel eye protects you from yourself. This protected us when we fell in Eden. This protects the throne of God. So our responsibility is to cast down our pride, cast down our crowns, cast down our ego, cast down our bodies, cast down our titles, and cry out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come, who will reign on his throne forever and ever because you are the alpha and you are the omega. You are the beginning and you are the end. And I don't know what y'all waiting on this morning, but that's what you ought to be rejoicing unto God for. That God has his eye on you. God has you in the shadow of his wings. He knows everything about you. And still he says, cry out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. This is what keeps us from making idols. This is what keeps us from worshiping the wrong God. This is the reminder that Yahweh is God. This is the reminder I don't need a God made of wood. This is the reminder I don't need a God made of stone. This is the reminder that my boss is not my God. This is the reminder that my paycheck is not my God, that I have the authority to cry out, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. That when we get to heaven, we rejoice over the protection we have right now first. That God can bear your deepest burden because you're under the shadow of his wings. God can bear your deepest hurt because you're under the shadow of his wings. And what ought to give you confidence to go to work this week is I'm under the 
shadow of his wings. What ought to give you confidence to go to school this week is I'm under the shadow of his wings. What ought to give you confidence to go to that doctor's appointment is I'm under the shadow of his wings and I'm the apple of his eye and under the shadow of his wings. The, the, the relationship with God is so powerful because he puts you under the shadow of his wings. He keeps you from your enemies and he keeps you from yourself. So are you ready to be honest with a God like that? Are you ready to have an honest, intimate relationship with a God like that? That God, when you think of me, I want you to see all of me. I want to be the apple of your eye. I want to deserve your wings as protection. That's the whole sermon, y'all. Do you want the protection? Are you willing to be honest with God? Is your faithfulness singing a song that makes God dance? What is the song your soul is singing that makes God excited? When God dances over you like Psalm 35, when he dances over your heart, what is the medley your faithfulness is making God dance to? When God begins to think of goodness and mercy, does he make sure he finds you because you're so open for God's goodness and mercy to come into your home, into your marriage? How honest are you with God? Are you more honest with your therapist than you are with God? Are you more honest at happy hour than you are with God? Are you more honest with your friends and your situationships or your friendships? than you are with God. David says, here's what you get from honesty with God. You are the apple of his eye. You are under the shadow of his wings. God will keep you from your enemies and he'll keep you from yourself. And that's why the writer came back in Psalm 91 that he will hide you in the secret place. Hallelujah. So I'm, I'm finished. I have no hollering and screaming today. But let me, let me give you to just really quickly. I'm not even going to go through this. I, I listed them out. You can put it right up on the screen. So how can we build intimacy with God this year? Let me give you just really quickly. I'm literally finished. A couple of things, and there's scriptures that go along with it. It's in the Bible app as well. You click on more, click on events. But here's the first thing I want to tell you. So number one, I want you to put God first. Here's the four areas I want you to put God first. Your faith, your family, your fitness, and your finances. Is God first in your faith? Here's the thing, and so the rest of this, you guys can understand, but let me talk about fitness. I, I can't trust fat prophets. Let me tell you why. I can't trust prophets who can't stand. I can't trust broke prophets. I can't trust fat prophets. I can't. And here's what I want to do. When it talks to fitness, here's what I want you to think about fitness. If God were to send you to exactly where God says, I need you to do my work, are you physically fit to complete the work? I'm challenged by that myself. Don't get me wrong. So I say, can't trust fat prophets. I'm literally working out. I'm trying, y'all. Because I know that I know there's a work that God has called me to the nations. I am not physically fit to go to India to minister the gospel yet. I'm going to get there. But that's where I want you to put God first in your fitness. It's not just a matter of, it's amazing to me. Like when we got married, Courtney and I got married, we lost all this weight to fit into a suit and to a dress. Right? So God is calling you to the nations. God is calling you to grandchildren. God is calling you to children. God is calling you to a new home. God is calling you to a condo on the third level. 
Are you fit? I wish I had somebody in this room. God is calling you to minister at senior citizens' places. God is calling you to walk areas. God is calling you, God is calling you to a certain section of Leo. Are you physically fit to do it? If not, put God first, that God is your wedding dress that you're trying to fit into to do the work of the will of God. Number two, learn how to pray. Best place to do it. That's just two scriptures to do it. Um, the best place to do it right now for us is we have a Bible study on Wednesdays, literally called Lord, Teach Me How to Pray. Join us online at noon and at 7 for our series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. The men's group and the young adult group are getting together in person to watch it and then discuss it afterwards. So if you want to do that with your friends and loved ones, do so. But we have a whole series this month dedicated to learning how to pray. I want us to have the right weapons. And number three, listen and obey. Listen Listening and obey, church, we can hear the Holy Spirit's whispered instructions when you first know Jesus. Knowing Jesus gives you access to the intercessor, who's the Holy Spirit. When you hear, when you know Jesus first, you have access to the intercessor who gives you the direction. That's where listening and obey. Number three, look for God in anything. God is in everything. That's called the panentheistic nature of God. Panentheistic nature of God. God is in everything because everything is from God. So when you're trying to find God, it's not just in the temple. It's on the street, it's on the corner, it's at your job. God's the panentheistic nature of God. Number four, number, number, number five, disconnect. The reason sometimes we aren't connected with God is because we're connected to so many other things. The world wants us to be lured in for more, busy and tech and consumer and more and more and more. And maybe the best thing for some of us to do for the beginning of this year or even the entire of the year is to disconnect. I got off social media and I could tell you what was going on in the world because I knew God more in the last four months than I knew God for years. And I was scrolling through everybody else's life. Disconnecting got me closer to God's voice. I began to say things in the prophetic when literally somebody said to me the other day, like, I had to scream, turn my mic off because it was something God was sharing with me that I never had heard before. But disconnecting from God made me get closer closer to God's heart. How close are you to the heart of God? Because when your life is moving at the pace of God's heart, it changes everything. And too often in this world right now, because of social media, because of media, because of the news, we are moving at the pace of the world and not moving at the pace of grace. Next, connect with others. One of the ways we can talk about building community is connecting with the people around you. Schedule time with your family. Put your phones away at the dinner table. Amen, somebody. Put your phone away. And now looking at me like, y'all millennials do it. No, y'all old folk be on y'all phones. Y'all be in your phone looking like this. Can't even, can't even eat the pasta. Don't, don't, don't get me. But it, it, it connect with the people around you. What is your grandchild's favorite color? What is your spouse's favorite color? What new thing did your kids do at school last week? I got so frustrated with myself a couple of weeks ago. My son brought home some stuff that he made, and I didn't know he wrote a letter A in cursive. And I'm so consumed with, like, Cam, finish this, Cam, do this. I didn't even realize my son is writing cursive. But I'm so busy, and he's so busy, and we're so busy that we forgot that Cam was writing cursive. What have we missed in our family's lives? The people that God has ordained us to serve because we're so busy. Connect with the people around you and see God at work. Last, second, second to last, lean into your gift. Your gift is what connects you to God. Your gift is what connects you to God. Paul didn't let prison stop him from preaching, teaching, leading. He didn't let anything stop him. Don't let anything stop you from the gift. Your gift is a reminder of God's grace in the world. And lastly, worship. Praise and rejoice. Sing in the shower. Some of y'all can't sing. Sing in the shower. Sing in the car, 
Sing in the grocery store. Sing on the street. I mean, whatever. Worship God because that's what's going to elicit your emotions. And then your emotions are going to lead you back to his word. I don't know if you can take it down. I had a number of people ask me after church last Sunday, Pastor, last week was such a powerful service. Why did you even preach? Because here's what worship does. Worship opens our emotions. The word of God gives us the words to describe it. Plus, I had to preach because I had to make sure that we understood what God was doing. That's the goal of the prophet. That's the goal of worship. Worship opens you, which is why I love our worship. Whenever our worship team is leading, worship opens your emotions. God, whatever you're going to do, say it. And then my responsibility as a prophet, this is what the Lord is saying. When you worship, you are opening yourself up for God to elicit and change your emotions, to fix the things that are off in your life. And then the word of God becomes the power source that says, now this is how to get to where I'm trying to take you. All in all, it gets down to one thing, y'all. It's easy for us to lie to ourselves. It's easy for us to lie on God. But God sat down, took a lie detector test, and said, you're my favorite. You are the apple of my eye. You are under the shadow of my wings. Now, is that intimacy going to be mutual this year? Or is intimacy going to be a one-way street? I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a relationship where you've been the only one trying, it's not a very fun relationship. If you've ever been in a relationship where you were the only one that planned dates, and you were the only one who texted, you were the only one who said good morning, and you were the only one who planned the vacation, and you're the only one who tried, it's not a very fun relationship. That's a one-way street, and eventually you'll find someone who reciprocates it. God says, listen, you are the apple of my eye. You are under the shadow of my wings. This year, let's have a mutual relationship. Because I took a lie detector test, and you're my favorite. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. God, thank you that we are the apple of your eye. Thank you that we are under the shadow of your wings. Thank you that your word is true over us. Thank you that you do not lie over us or lie to us. God, we honor today that you sing over us, you rejoice over us. So now, God, in the areas where we don't trust it, awaken us. In the areas, God, where our hearts have been calloused and maliced and the world where busyness has taken over God, remind us that we are your favorite. Allow us to look around us and see the things that you've done in our lives. Allow us to look around us and see the grace you've bestowed upon us. And I pray now, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you show us your grace and mercy. That this week, this year, God, is a year of intimacy and honesty with you. And may we sing and rejoice like the cherubim, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Thank you that you're God on the throne. Thank you that you are the Alpha, that you are Omega, that you are the beginning, and you are the end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Well, thank you for listening to the FNBC podcast. We pray the word of God reached you where you are to bring you where God needs you to be. You're listening to this today. You don't have a relationship with Christ. We want to take a moment to bring you through the ABCs of salvation. ABCs of salvation are simply admit, believe, confess, and demonstrate. And then we'll pray the prayer of salvation. Are you ready? First of all, we admit. We admit that we are sinners. We admit that we are sinners. That means I've done something or I am someone who's far from God. Sin is not this whole thing of sex, drugs, and alcohol only. Sin is literally saying, this is what has distanced me from the love of Christ. Today, I'm admitting that I've distanced myself from Christ's love, and I want Christ's love in my life. Then number two, I admit that I believe. I believe in Christ. I believe that Christ can cleanse me of all unrighteousness and all of the sin in my life. 
And if you believe that, then thirdly, we confess. We confess our need for God. Writer of Romans tells us we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts the Lord Jesus, we are saved. And today, if that's you confessing that, we are excited for you. And lastly, you demonstrate that. You demonstrate that the act of baptism and becoming a part of a local church to grow and bloom and blossom to all God's called you to be. Allow me to pray for you if you are going down the steps of salvation. Just simply repeat after me, say, God, I come in Jesus' name. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you are God. I confess my need for you in my life. And today, I will demonstrate that by giving my life over to you. Use me in your service and I will be there with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm so excited. If you pray that prayer for the very first time, it's called the prayer of salvation. We would love for you to be a part of the work that God is doing wherever you are. If you're in California, we'd love for you to be a part of Friendship After Church. And if you're across the country, we'd love for you to be part of whatever church you're a part of. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, we want you to be saved and be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're interested in learning more about Friendship, go to our website, befnbc.org. You can give us a call at 707-648-2005 or find us online at BEFNBC um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and TikTok. Listen, have an amazing day. Know this, that God has smiled on you. You are somebody. Now go live into who you are. Have a great day.